0: Most of you already know this about me, but uh, for any of you in here this morning visiting with us, uh, I grew up in, in Arkansas, central part of the state, in central Arkansas, and after graduating high school, I attended college at the University of Arkansas, the home of the Arkansas Razorbacks. And uh, for those of y'all Texans in here wondering what in the world a Razorback is, I actually have a picture of one up on the screen. And I don't know what y'all are snickering about. A Razorback is ferocious. And growing up in Arkansas, especially during my years in college, I encountered a lot of diehard Razorback fans, and they call them hog fans. And uh, I, I've, you know, I've met die-hard hog fans who can name all the starters of all the current teams of all the major sports i mean i'm we're talking about from football to men's and women's basketball to baseball and and i had some friends in college who could not only name all of those but could also list for you many of uh players from years past starters from years past from previous years of you know football basketball baseball players And they could also share with you stat after stat from their years at Arkansas. And those same friends would also be the ones in college who would camp outside the football stadium on Friday night so that they could be the first ones in to the stadium on Saturday to get a seat down front in the student section and there are also those today who even though the hogs have been struggling both in football and basketball are at every game and follow every starter those are the true fans right and those of y'all who know fans like that you wouldn't even consider questioning their loyalty to the team would you no me neither that's right i mean it's proven right not just in, in, in the way they talk about the team, but in what they know about them and in their actions. It's proven that they are true fans because of their devotion to the team. But you know what else I encountered as well growing up in Arkansas and especially in college? At times, I encountered those who, though they wore the t-shirt and though they went to the school and would even tell you that the Razorbacks are their favorite team, in football and basketball those same people cannot name on the football team and cannot tell you the leading score in basketball and those people, those same people who said they're true fans, many of them I met had never even stepped into the football stadium or in in the basketball arena to watch a game nor had they ever watched a game on TV. Now I'll tell you this Unlike the the first group, it's very easy for me to question their loyalty to the Razorbacks. Because though they wore the t-shirt, and though they went to the school and even said they cheered for the team, their actions said something completely different. Their actions told me that they could care less. Many of you Longhorn fans, Aggie fans, Baylor Bear fans, TCU fans... Texas Tech fans. Sorry, there's too many Texas teams. (laughs) SFA fans. I'm sure you've encountered these types of pretended fans as well. Am I right? Those who wear the shirt, claim to love the team, but do not care to watch them on TV and know little to nothing about them. And folks, guess what? We not only see this in sports, do we? But we also see this more importantly where? In the church. In the church. There are many in our churches today who come week in and week out and they dress the part and they claim to be followers of Christ. But when you look at their life, there is no evidence whatsoever that they do, in fact, follow Him. This is so common. In our churches today that many have come up with the name for these types of people they call them nominal Christians a nominal Christian is a Christian in name only and though they identify themselves as Christians and with Christians the only thing Christian about them is that they claim to be one when you look at their lives there is no evidence whatsoever that they are in fact a Christ follower well the Bible addresses these types of people especially in our text for today in our text for today we're going to address this issue of nominal christianity if you have your bibles turn to john 15. today we're going to address this issue and we're going to make distinctions between a nominal christian and a devout follower of christ as we continue through our series in john Entitled, Knowing Jesus from John. And today we're in chapter 15, and we're going to be talking about knowing Jesus as the vine. Knowing Jesus as the vine. And in this chapter, we're going to look at this morning, Jesus is going to address this issue, this issue of nominal Christianity, and he is going to show us, the reader, that nominal Christianity, get this, is not Christianity at all. He's going to show us clearly in this chapter that there is no such thing as a nominal Christian, as a Christian in name only, and he's going to explain to us what a true follower of Christ looks like. So if you're not there yet, get to John 15. We're in the middle of what is known as the upper room discourse. You remember... Last week and several weeks ago, I I explained to you that this section lasts for about five chapters from John 13 to John 17. And remember, I told you that the events that take place in these chapters are believed to have taken place just hours before Jesus' arrest and a day before his crucifixion. And during this section... Jesus is with his disciples and he is preparing them and equipping them for what is to come. He's getting ready to lead them. He knows it's coming and he spends this last evening with his disciples teaching them and showing them and preparing them and exampling for them how they are to live as God's and here in John 15 we're right in the middle of this section and you'll notice at the end of chapter 14 Jesus says to his disciples rise let us go from here and some commentators suggest that maybe the disciples at this time they're leaving the upper room and they're headed back toward the garden of Gethsemane and perhaps as they're walking along maybe they pass by a vineyard on the way. And the reason why I suggest that is because of the imagery that Jesus uses here in chapter 15. Look at chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says this I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. of the vineyard. And Jesus says here that he is the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser, and we, people in general, are the branches. And notice what he says here about these branches. He makes mention here that there are some branches that are dead. Jesus says there are dead branches in this vineyard, and these dead branches that do not bear fruit are separated from the vine, and they're thrown out by the vine dresser. But Jesus also says there are other branches that are growing and bearing fruit. And he says that the vine dresser, the Father, he prunes these and he preps these so that they may continue and grow and bear more fruit. So they need some tending to, don't they? But he prunes and preps these to bear more fruit. And Jesus gives us this metaphor here to illustrate the importance of abiding in him. And it doesn't take a Bible scholar here to see that abiding is the main point of this passage and chapter. Am I right? Because the word abide here is used eight times and twice it's used as the main command. Look at verse 4 again. Jesus says very clearly here, abide in me and I in you. Abide here is the command. It is in the imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's imperative. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now, because the key word in John 15 is the word abide, it's important that we understand what that word means, right? What does it mean to abide? Well, you'll notice in some of the translations that you may have, it's translated differently, right? In some of your Bibles, it may be translated remain. It may also be translated stay, And so what Jesus is saying here is this, he's saying, stay in me, remain in me. And by saying this, Jesus is also warning his hearers as well not to leave him. He's saying, abide in me, stay in me, remain in me, don't leave me, don't turn away from me. Let me show you where we clearly see this word of warning in chapter 15. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. See, Jesus is telling us very clearly how we are to be and how we're not to be. He says, don't be a dead branch. Don't turn away from me and be a fruitless dead branch that withers he says those types of branches are gathered up and they're thrown into the fire and are burned jesus is telling his disciples here don't do that don't walk away from me don't abandon me but abide stay remain remain in me don't be like the dead fruitless branch that god will cut down and cast away but abide in me remain in me grow and bear fruit and that's the main point of John 15 right there it is now I know some of y'all upon hearing this you're you're thinking to yourself well I get what Jesus is saying here you know that we should not turn away from him but that we're to abide in him but but how do we do that how do we abide in him how do we remain in Jesus well I'm glad you asked for those of y'all that did because for the rest of the chapter we're going to talk about What Jesus means when he says this. We're going to talk about abiding in the vine. We're going to talk about... The fact that Jesus explains in this text how we do this. He explains how we abide in the vine. He explains how we make sure that we are staying and remaining and abiding in him and not turning away. And the key, according to Jesus in this text, to abiding in him is that we get three relationships right. There are three relationships that Jesus says we must have in check in order to abide in him. We're going to examine these three relationships this morning, and I pray that you examine yourself this morning to see if you are, in fact, abiding in Jesus. First, to abide in the vine, Jesus says we must first have a right relationship with Him. To abide in the vine, we must have a right relationship with Jesus. That's key. This is what verses 1 through 11 of John 15 are all about. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, our our relationship with Jesus is so important because apart from him, we can do nothing. Now, what does he mean by nothing? What's he talking about here? What's in the context here of him talking about bearing fruit? That's what Jesus has been talking about. He's been talking about bearing fruit. So what he means here when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. Apart from me, apart from looking to me and trusting in me and following me, you can do nothing of significance spiritually. Apart from me, you cannot live a life that's pleasing to God. It's impossible. So if we're not abiding... In remaining, and staying in Jesus apart from Him, we can do nothing of, of significance spiritually. Now let me tell you, this goes against everything inside of us. We have this mentality, especially in our country, that we can do anything we set our minds to. Therefore, many don't see Christ as necessary. There was a survey done by the Barna Group that reported that over one-fourth of so-called Christians agreed with the statement that if a person is good enough or does enough good for others, they will earn a place in heaven. Over one-fourth, over 25% of professing Christians believe that. This is the way many think, even in the church. We like to think our works count for something, don't we? We truly think that if we apply ourselves, if we apply our minds to to what we're doing, we we can do it. We can achieve it. If you believe it, you can achieve it, right? We believe, many of us, many professing Christians believe that they can lead lead a, a life, live a life pleasing to God by their own power. Folks, Nothing could be further from the truth. This mindset may lead you to success in the corporate world, but will not lead to success spiritually. Scripture, in fact, tells us that the opposite is true. God tells us in His Word time and time again, though you think your works count for something, they count for nothing. God says there's no amount of effort you can put in to make yourself right with me. We're told in the the scriptures that on on our best day, our best is like filthy rags to God. Our best. There's nothing we can do. Yet get this, scripture tells us, the word Bible, the God's word tells us that though that's the case, Though we can do nothing, it also tells us Jesus has done everything for us. So a right relationship with Jesus, abiding in Jesus, involves recognizing that apart from him we can do nothing, but through him all things are possible spiritually because of who he is and because of what he has done for us. But there's more. Believe it or not, there is work involved on our end as well. And some of you hear that and say, is he contradicting himself? I I thought he just said. I thought Graham just said. I thought we don't do anything. That Christ has done everything. Well, that's true with salvation. And it's true that without Christ in our life, we cannot grow in godliness. We cannot be who God has created us to be. Scripture is clear that we're saved by faith alone, but get this, I want you to get this. Scripture is also clear that our faith is never alone. Did you get that? We are saved by faith alone, but our faith is never alone. It is accompanied by works. It is accompanied by fruit. Though it's essential that Christ is, Is at work within us scripture is also clear that we're to be working out what God is working in us don't believe me look at Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 13 listen to what Paul says here very clearly therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Paul says when it comes to spiritual growth, you work it out. This is a command. This is in the imperative. Paul says you do it, you work it out, but is it solely a work of man? No. Notice God plays a critical role. Look at verse 13. Paul says, for it is God who works in you, to will and to work, for his good pleasure. So Paul says, you work it out. Work out your salvation. Put in the work. And he says, if you're putting in the work, the fact that you're working it out is proof that God is working in you. You with me? Jesus gives us a similar word here, folks. In John 15, look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So though Jesus in verse 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Here he says... If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Jesus is saying here, though it's essential that you're connected to the vine, though it's essential that that we are connected to him to bear fruit, he says in verses 8 through 10 that if we're connected to him, we should in fact be bearing fruit. You see that? He says, I am the vine. And if you're connected to me, then you're not going to be dead, you're going to be alive. You're not going to be fruitless. You're going to be fruitful. There's going to be evidence. There's going to be fruit. You're going to be obedient. You're going to be putting in the work. You're going to be proving to be my disciples. You're going to live like it. There's going to be proof in your life that you're connected to me. Now we're going to slip up. Scripture is clear on that. There's going to be fruit. So you want to know if you're connected to the vine, if you're in Christ, if you're abiding and remaining and staying in him, ask yourself this, is there fruit in my life that shows that I'm connected to the vine? Can you look back over the course of your life, the past year, five years, ten years or more, and see evidence, see fruit that proves that you are in fact connected to the vine? Folks, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, your answer should be yes. You should be able to see fruit. But I'm convinced that there are some in here this morning whose answer to this question is no. And if this is you, you need to take a long, hard look at your life to see if you're really in Christ or if you're a dead branch. And don't just assume, but examine yourselves. That's what Scripture tells us we're to do. Make sure that you're connected to the vine. Take a long, hard look at this first relationship and make sure that you are, in fact, abiding in Christ. So so that's the first key. To abiding in the vine is to have a right relationship with Jesus. Second, to abide in Christ, Jesus says we must also have a right relationship with God's people. That's what verses 12 through 17 are all about. Let me read a few of these verses to you. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Skip on down to verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. What do you think the main point of this passage is? It's Pretty obvious, isn't it? Jesus tells us that we are to love one another. Look at it again. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you that you will love one another. So Jesus is telling us here that we are to love one another. That's very clear, crystal clear here. And to motivate his disciples to love one another, Jesus uses the same logic he used back in John 13. When Jesus washed his disciples, I have served you, you are to serve one another. Well, here in chapter 15, he uses this same logic and he says, love one another as I have loved you. Now, knowing what we know about Jesus and what he's about to go do, let's be honest, this is a tall order, isn't it? This is a big command. Because Jesus loved his disciples to such an extent that he laid down his life for them, and here he is calling them to have that same kind of love for one another. And he also says that this kind of love will give further proof that they are abiding in the vine, that they are remaining in him. Look at verses 13 through 14. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus is saying, if you are abiding in me, it will show in the way you love and care for one another. He says, if you are abiding in me, if you are a follower of me, then you will do as I have done for you. And you will love one another as I have loved you. And notice something else here, believers. The love that Jesus is talking about here, is that his disciples are to have a love for each other. He's talking about the love that they're to have amongst themselves and amongst other like-minded disciples. He's talking about the love between followers of Christ. He's not talking about loving the world. We'll get to that in just a minute. Here he's talking about loving one another, them loving one another as he has loved them. Believers, how are you doing in this area of your life? How are you doing when it comes to loving God's people? Christ is clear that if we abide in Him, this relationship will be in check, our relationship with one another. I've met some who say, man, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. I love Christ, but I can't stand His followers. And on the one hand, even though I don't share that at all. I understand what people are saying when they say this. Because in the church, you run into people who are immature and difficult and frustrating and arrogant. And many of us have had encounters with people like this in the church. And many of us have been like this in the church. I know I have. Which is why some people say, I I love Jesus, but can't stand the church. But here's the thing. Look at what Jesus says again in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as what? As I have loved you. We're to love one another in the same way Jesus has loved us. Now, let me ask you this, and be honest with me. Are you at times immature and difficult and frustrating and arrogant? Be honest. And does Jesus cut ties with you when you're this way? No. Then neither should we. I've met people who've been in four different churches in five months because somebody hurt their feelings or made them mad. They have no biblical justification for that. That is not loving God's people as Christ loved us. We don't have any excuse, do we? We have no excuse for not putting up with God's people. Listen, because Jesus has put up with us. We have no excuse for not loving God's people because Jesus has loved us. And he tells us very clearly here, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And one of my commandments is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus says As you do this you will show that you are in fact abiding in me so the second key to abiding in the vine is to have a right relationship with God's people third and finally to abide in Christ Jesus says we must also have a right relationship with the world now some of you may think this kind of sounds strange But we see this relationship in the text as well. And there are two facets to this relationship. First, there should be a tension between us and the world. Believers, if you are abiding in Christ, there should be some tension between you and the world. We've talked about time and time again in here the fact that the people of this world and and the systems of this world go completely counter to God and His ways. So it should make sense that if you're abiding in Christ and going against the flow of this world that you're going to receive some kickback. There's going to be some tension between you and the world. Look at verse 18. It's not a popular verse, but it's there. We've got to deal with it. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. I love that. Would just embrace you, give you a warm hug. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It's very clear what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? He's saying, if you abide in me, you should expect some kickback from the world. He says, the world has hated me, so it just makes sense that if it hates me, the world's going to hate you. And some of you are thinking, well, what are you you talking about, hate, you know? You don't mean hate, hate, do you? What do you mean by that? What does that look like? Well, for Jesus' followers, it meant persecution, For many of them it meant death but what does that look like for us well unless circumstances get worse and worse in our country it may not mean death for us right now it may one day I don't know but it doesn't right now but there there is still tension and there still should be tension might mean tension at home Or in the workplace. It may mean that certain relationships are are strained between us and, and friends and family. Now, we should not instigate this, folks, nor should we seek this out, but it should also not surprise us when it happens to us. And hear me when I say this. In order to abide in Christ and be a faithful follower of Him, listen to this, this needs to be a risk you're willing to take. So that's one facet to this relationship with the world is that there is is this tension that should exist between the world and those who are abiding in Christ. And if there's never been this sort of tension in your life because of your faith, you need to really question whether or not your faith is authentic because Jesus said there should be tension. But at the same time, though there is tension that comes from the world, that is directed toward us. What should be reciprocated from us to the world, what we should return the world with is a love for the world. So though there is tension, we should respond by showing love toward the world. Look at, look at verse 26 and 27 of our text. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus, some good news here. He says, though there is going to be this tension between you and the world, the Father is going to send you the Holy Spirit And he is going to come to you and equip you and prepare you to represent me and bear witness about me to the world. So Jesus says here, though there is this tension that exists between God's people and the world, he has sent his spirit to equip his people so that they can respond to this tension in a loving way, taking his message of hope to the hopeless. And if you read on into the next book, pass John into the book of Acts you discover that's exactly what happens, right? That's exactly what they do. Though they are persecuted for abiding in Christ, they respond by making him known and spreading about him across the known world. Believers, we're called to do the same thing today. Though we are not being arrested and put to death for our faith, there is a war that's taking place today. Christianity is under attack in our world today, and our response should be the same. We are to respond in love by taking God's message of hope to the hopeless. So there are two facets to our relationship with the world. There is tension that we receive from the world, and there is to be a love that we give back to the world, taking this message of Christ to those who do not know him. Believers, it's so important that we have a proper understanding of what our relationship is to be like with the world because so often people go to one of two extremes when relating to the world. There are some because they don't like the tension that's felt from the world. They give in and allow themselves to be compromised morally to fit in. Some even say, I'm doing this so I can be a better witness to the non-Christians. But really, that's just a cop-out. Many of them are just uh, doing it because they want to partake in sin, probably, and also to avoid this tension that should exist between Christians and the world. And there are others who completely cut all ties with the world. They don't like the tension either, so they seal themselves off from the world up in their ivory tower And though these people may not be compromised morally, this is also an ungodly response because Scripture is clear that we're to go out to the world and we're to love the world, taking this message of hope to the hopeless. That's what Jesus did, wasn't it? Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus willingly came to the world. He came to us. He left the place of glory and entered into a dark and dead world as a man. And when he came, he did not allow himself to be compromised. He did not give in, but he also did not pull out and retreat. He came to us, even though he was not of us, he became one of us and dwelt in our midst so that we through him could be reconciled to God. That's what Christ did for us. In fact, think about this. Jesus loved us so much that he allowed himself to be cut off the vine for us. Ever thought about that? There's a sense in which Jesus was cut off the vine by the Father for us. Like a dried up branch that is cut off and cast aside, Jesus... When he took on our sin, when he who knew no sin became sin for us at the cross, he was cut off from the Father so that in turn he could bring us to him. Jesus did this for us so that we could have a right relationship with God. He was cut off from the Father so that he could bring us to the Father and make us right with the Father. That's the gospel, folks. That's what Jesus did for us. And if you have not, pray that today would be the day that you believe and receive this work that Christ has done for you. If you're here today and the Spirit of God has been doing a work in your life revealing to you that you're a dead and fruitless branch because you're not connected to the vine, I pray today be the day you get connected. Today be the day that you turn from your sin and you trust in Christ alone for your salvation. Would you pray with me?